Hello, and welcome back to Tectonic, a podcast that looks at the way technology is changing our lives. I'm John Thornhill, Innovation Editor at the Financial Times in London. Last week, we heard from Nadaf Zafria, an Israeli intelligence officer turned entrepreneur, about the changing world of cybercrime. This week, we hear from an entrepreneur and academic who worries that our societies are ill-prepared for the rapid onset of technologies like self-driving cars. The big guys have realized that their days are numbered, that once self-driving cars are here, they become obsolete. So we're talking about in the next five years, major, major disruptions of the transportation industry like we've never imagined before. That was the voice of Vivek Wadwa, whose book, The Driver in the Driverless Car, How Our Technology Choices Will Create the Future, comes out next year. I spoke to him about this and other transformative technologies during a visit to the Ambrosetti Forum in Italy on the beautiful shores of Lake Como. Vivek, what's the main theme of your book? What do you say in it? The theme of the book is that technology is advancing whether we're ready or not. It's like a Mack truck that's rushing ahead. It's unstoppable. We get in its way, we're roadkill. Now, technology is going to change everything about our lives. It's going to really lead us to a, possibly an era of abundance where we have all of our basic wants and needs met. It's going to really help us solve the grand challenges of humanity. We'll be able to now have unlimited clean energy, take care of the problems of hunger, disease, feed the masses. Stuff that sounds like science fiction. This science fiction is entirely possible. However, there are many risks along the way that every technology has a dark side. Take the original technology, which was fire. Fire could be used to keep people warm or to burn down houses. And it's really how it's used that defined whether it was good or bad. So now we have the situation with all of these technologies happening, us being responsible for the consequences without having any kind of understanding. Our politicians are the most clueless of the lot. Our business leaders are the most clueless. Economists are the most clueless. This is a very strange situation. Normally, it's folks like you who are in financial services who understand the world better. You understand the impact of geopolitics because you can see money flows and so on. Today, now you yourself have learned. I mean, you really, you know, the last year or so, I've seen a transformation in you. So you you really get it now. But the fact is the rest of the world hasn't transformed. They haven't learned about these advances, which means that we have more to worry about than we ever, ever imagined. And in this revolutionary world, could you just focus a bit on driverless cars? How quickly are they going to be adopted, do you think? Yeah, you know, when we talked last year, I was talking about 2020, 2022, when self-driving cars are a reality. Now we're talking 2018, which blows my mind, that they're moving a lot faster than anyone ever imagined. Now, Singapore is talking about setting up taxi fleets, which are self-driving. Pittsburgh is already testing out uh, self-driving Ubers. So probably in the next 12 months or so, we will see fully autonomous cars on our street by several vendors. Not only Tesla, I drive a Model S Tesla, which drives itself on the highways, which is an amazing experience. It'll begin to take over more and more of the driving. Right now, it simply goes on the highway and it sticks within the lane and it keeps a distance. Soon, it'll also automatically go to new highways. It'll drive on local roads and so on. Over the next two or three years, that'll become fully autonomous as well. And who's going to be driving this? Is it going to be the established car companies, the Fords, the Nissans, the BMWs, or is it going to be this new generation of tech companies that are now expanding in this, the Googles, the Ubers, the Teslas? It was a new generation of tech companies that was doing all this, and then suddenly GM and Ford panicked. They realized that they were being massively left behind, and GM spent a billion dollars on buying a self-driving car company. Ford is investing massively in it. They're doing many partnerships. They're even buying up ride-sharing companies because... The big guys have realized that their 
days are numbered that once self-driving cars are here, they become obsolete. So we're talking about in the next five years, major, major disruption to the transportation industry like we've never imagined before. And where is the value going to go in this? People talk about autonomous cars as being apps on wheels. Is that where all the value is going to be or is exactly. there still going to be value in metal bashing as well? Well, why do you think Apple is getting into the Apple car? They've shifted their goals somewhat. But the fact is that Apple sees the uh, car as an iPhone on wheels. So once you control the platform for the car, you can now build apps, you can now keep people entertained, you can now monitor their moving habits, and you can monitor their data and keep track of them like never before. So it's the same system as in the tech industry. Why does Google give you free email and free word processors and free phone calls and so on? Because they're learning about you and using it to market better to you. So the car will be the same platform. So now Tesla has shown us that an electric car really is a battery, a motor, and software. Do you think there's a danger, though, that the technology is going to be pushed too far too early? We've already had some examples of Tesla in particular and that autopilot resulting in an accident, which clearly had a huge amount of adverse publicity. And that some of the pioneers of this revolution themselves worry that there could be a public backlash when these robot cars kill people, even though three and a half thousand people die every day by human accidents. There's, There's no doubt there'll be massive backlash against them and there will be accidents and that this is being rolled out too fast. There's no doubt about that. But that's not going to stop the industry because now it's globalized. Before it was really a United States, so you could have states setting up regulations. Now the U.S. has become irrelevant. Europe has become irrelevant. There would be disasters, there would be failures, and there would be deaths from this. However, we will save more lives in the aggregate than we've taken, and it will improve our lives dramatically. Do you get the sense that the autonomous car industry itself is worrying about this and trying to come up with its own standards and regulations that will not push the technology too far, or do you think it's just, in effect, a free-for-all, everyone just rushing to develop this? It's a free-for-all, it's a race. The tech industry doesn't come together and say, hey, we need to think about ethics and values and morals, and we need to slow down and work with each other. It's not a nicey-nice industry. It's a cutthroat industry in which you try to put each other out of business and you steal all the ideas you can from each other and you leapfrog each other. That's how the tech industry works. Which are the governments that get this and are going to push this? You mentioned Singapore, for example, and the experiment that's going on there with the kind of robot taxis. China as well is pushing very heavily into right. this and new cities are being built there with lanes and so on being designed for driverless cars. How about the developed world that you were talking about earlier? Is the US and Europe, are they actually going to lag behind in this revolution? It could well be. And this is why China stepping into the race makes a big difference. Because before, it was just the US and Europe that had to make the decisions. They would go very slowly. Now with the Chinese in the act, they're going to be ruthless getting them there because they want the first mover advantage and they want to own a new emerging industry. So now there's going to be a race between governments as well to see who will allow it faster. The Obama administration has come out in strong support of self-driving cars. The strange thing was the California state tried slowing it down and the Obama administration overruled California. That blew my mind. There's also, I mean, as you alluded to earlier, going to be a lot of human resistance to this. People's jobs are going to disappear. There are 3.5 million truck drivers in the U.S., Legislation has to be retooled in order to accommodate driverless cars. The insurance industry has got to get its head around all of this. How long is all of that process going to take? Now you're getting to the dark side of all these technologies and why I really, really worry. Because Uber is literally obsessed with removing the dude in the driver's seat. They believe that they can reduce the cost of cars dramatically by removing the driver from it. And they won't have these pesky people who join labor unions and who give them a hard time. 
So this is why Uber is investing massively in self-driving cars, and this is why they're going to be one of the first to get these out. So give it three or four or five years at the most. Worst case, five years. Most likely three years. And Uber will start rolling out fleets of cars that can drive themselves in neighborhoods, and then it'll be cities. And it'll be region by region that they'll start rolling it out, which means that those drivers start disappearing. Volvo already has self-driving trucks. And there are several companies developing software that will run on any vehicle. So give it three to four or five years, and you'll start removing truck drivers from the seat as well. And at first, there'll be a truck driver there just for safety reasons. But later on, the truck driver will simply be parked at the destination point to take over when you have to go on local roads. So the truck driver's jobs will disappear as well. We're talking about millions of jobs disappearing. What happens then to these people? They're not employable because you can't simply retrain them now to do some other high-level work. So we're talking about unrest and all sorts of problems. You mentioned the insurance industry. Well, self-driving cars will not need insurance. So the automotive insurance industry is going to be what I call toast. There's no future for it. I've spoken to the CEOs of several insurance companies, and they begin to see the stock riding on the wall, that the entire automotive insurance segment is just disappearing on them much, much faster than they ever imagined it would happen. And you say that no insurance will be needed because there will simply not be accidents? or There will not be accidents, and if there are accidents, they'll be self-insured. Let's say Google provides the software. Well, Google could do the self-insurance. Remember Google was trying out car insurance in the UK? Everyone wondered why was Google in the act of selling car insurance. This was about two or three years ago. It, it discontinued it a year ago because Google was learning about how the car insurance industry works. It was gathering data on it because I suspect that they're considering their own automotive insurance policies so that they can take over this industry. Some people say that the human affinity with the car is just so strong that this revolution is going to get prevented and that the instinct not to go in a driverless car is just enormous and I mean at the moment we can have pilotless planes very easy there's no traffic in the skies the technology is proven but would you step in a pilotless plane there's still enormous resistance to well this. the flights that I take anywhere are pilotless you know the pilots basically are not active once a flight takes off they simply put their hands on the steering wheel when it's taking off and then it's an autopilot and I trust the autopilot more than I trust pilots because pilots get distracted and they make mistakes Autopilot is much safer. I also trust my autopilot. It took me about 20 minutes to become comfortable with the autopilot feature of my Tesla and let it drive itself. At first, it was very uncomfortable, saying, oh my God, this thing is driving itself. It's moving its own steering wheel. And then after a while, I said, you know, let's see what happens. And it did just fine without me. So we are going to accept it. Even the skeptics are going to accept it. Now, there's still people who like having their own horses. So they own horses. So we'll probably still have some people who own manual cars that they can drive on special racetracks. But eventually we're going to kick them off the roads. We won't need human beings on the roads. Because they're just too unsafe. They're too unsafe. Human beings are pesky, dangerous animals who crash into each other, who get road rage, who rush into traffic, who make mistakes, who text while driving. Why should we allow them to be on our roads? They're dangerous. It's the nature of technological revolutions to create all kinds of opportunities and threats in areas that no one ever really thinks about when these technologies develop. What do you think the knock-on impact of driverless cars is going to be on other industries? Uh, the automotive industry, for example, you're talking about wiping it out. You're talking about wiping out the insurance industry. You're talking about transforming employment and creating mass unemployment. Now you're talking about these technologies also being applied to many other things because as the technology for navigating goods starts getting better and better, we'll start seeing it applied to drones, for example. Drones really are self-driving planes, really small planes. So we'll start seeing the technology being applied to drones, which will do delivery for us as well. And the drones will get better and better, and the drones will really start delivering human beings before you know it as well. 
I mean, Ehang in China was already demonstrating a drone that can carry a human being. So you're going to see the entire transportation segment being impacted and everything associated with employment being impacted. What does it mean for the energy industry? Do you think it will lead to a net reduction of oil consumption and pollution? Oh, yeah, without doubt. Now, see, you've got to look at the second half of this, which is what are these self-driving cars going to be made of? Most likely, they're going to be electric cars because the cost of electric cars is dropping dramatically. People did not believe that Tesla could produce a $35,000 car. Tesla can do it. Now Elon is talking about 100 watts per kilowatt hour for um, his storage costs, basically, which means that suddenly, within five or seven years, these electric cars should cost on the low end about ten dollars or $20,000, and they should go two or 300 miles at that price. Why would we be buying these old-line internal combustion engine vehicles when we could have completely electric cars? So you're talking about a replacement cycle for these cars, and then we won't need to own cars anymore. If you now have Ubers available on demand, and Uber costs you a fifth of what it does today, for example, which is nothing. You're talking about bus fare equivalent. And you can get an Uber on demand anytime you want, just by going on your app and you have a car there for you, and you don't have to worry about tipping the driver or dealing with a pesky human being. Why would we need to own cars? We will need 90% fewer cars when they are self-driving because people will not need to own cars anymore. So again, you're now impacting the industry from another side, and we're going to be now accelerating the progress of battery technologies. And I've heard some driverless cars experts talk about this as almost mobility becomes a utility. It's like you turn on the faucet and out comes the water. Exactly. You just step on the street with your app and you have mobility at your feet. What are the other big breakthrough technologies you think are going to happen over the next few years? And what are the things that we should be most excited about and worried about? Well, machine learning, for example, is on this exponential curve. You know, for decades, we've been talking about artificial intelligence and its perils and the opportunities. And it was really a joke that AI never happened the way we thought it would happen. The reason was because it wasn't intelligence at all. We were really writing down every command like a decision tree and detailing it and writing code around it. Now, neural networks have been perfected. Thanks to the graphic processing unit, GPU, that NVIDIA developed, you have now parallel processing. So you can now have computers that mimic the human brain and which can also start learning just like the way we do. So you have layer after layer after layer and they program themselves. So lines of code are very small. You just have to give it massive amounts of data. And we have massive amounts of data. So there's an AI revolution happening, which is also in hyperdrive, much, much faster than anyone expected which is going to be transformative because in financial services in particular, it's all about data, 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 data. Whoever has the best data can make the best financial decisions. So AI is taking over all of that. Now, another technology which is amazing and which terrifies me is Cas9 CRISPR gene editing. This is a three or four year old technology which has become so prevalent that you have labs all over the world doing it. We're talking about editing genes, like going into a Word document and editing an essay. So imagine now being able to sequence the DNA of an organism, a plant, an animal, a human being, and now edit out the things you don't like in it. And why is that terrifying? Can that not be a very good thing? It can be a wonderful thing because you can eliminate disease with it. However, you can also create superhuman beings with it. You can create super viruses with it. You can create killer organisms with it. We have no idea what we can create with it. The Chinese shocked the world by demonstrating that they had edited human embryos. There was an uproar, and eventually we decided there should be a moratorium on embryo editing. But I doubt that that really stopped the Chinese. I mean, do you think that they would simply have stopped doing all research? They're doing it behind the scenes, and so are other governments. 
So we now have governments creating superhuman beings in the lab. That terrifies me, I mean. And if we're worried about inequality today, then we really ought to be worried when we have bioengineered superhumans running around. Well, let me, uh, let me pose a question to you. Let's say that uh, you were about to have a child and you got a DNA test and you found that your child was going to have a debilitating disease. You had the option of editing out that disease. Would you do it? Most likely you would. Even if you were a devout Catholic, you would agonize over it, but you would find justification to do it because it's the life of your child and you can't do that. And now, while you're at it, you can also give your child another 10 points of IQ. And you really wanted a child with blue eyes, you give them blue eyes, blonde hair. You now make them an inch or two taller. You give them healthier muscles and you edit out a few other things. The question is, where do you draw the line on what's good and bad? So we're now talking about the ability to design our own babies. This is all in the next five years or so when it becomes practical. And how do you answer your own question? Where do we draw the line? And who's responsible for drawing that line? John, I don't know. This is what scares me. When it comes to gene editing in particular, this is the one technology where I've said that we need a moratorium on it because we need to have ethical guidelines in place. We need to put limits on what can and can't be done. About 20 or 30 years ago, we decided that cloning was not ethical. We banned it. So far, we haven't seen any, you know, Adolf Hitler's being cloned, right? But the fact is, it was largely effective because we came to a consensus of what was good and what was bad. We need to get together as a society and decide what's good or bad. The UK permitted one lab to go ahead and start doing editing on human beings. The UK was one of the first to say, yes, let's do it, which surprised me because it's a more conservative society and you don't rush headlong into things like this. But, you know, the UK did. So now you have labs all over the world. To set up a CRISPR lab costs less than $10,000. So now anyone can start playing with nature. Scary as hell. <laughs> right, on that note, I think we have to end it there. But thank you very much, Vivek. You've given us a lot to think about, both on the upside and the downside. Thank you. We'll be back with another episode of Tectonic next week when we hear from Yuval Noah Harari, the historian whose latest book, takes a step into the future, to a time when man may cease to be the smartest algorithm on the planet. If you'd like to comment on today's show, or suggest any topics you'd like us to cover in future, please email us at tectonic at ft.com. This episode of Tectonic was produced by Fiona Simons.